Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, I'm Emma Gillespie filling in for Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. The US election is just over two weeks away and Democratic nominee Joe Biden is easily leading US President Donald Trump in all the major polls. Joe Biden up five points over President Trump nationally, 51 to 46 percent. Joe Biden jumping out to a nine point lead on President Trump. Joe Biden's lead in polling has widened and President Trump needs to make up ground instead of falling further behind. But in 2016, we heard the same thing about Hillary Clinton and, well, she didn't win. Her supporters basically are in a state of shock and disbelief. The polls were looking good for Hillary Clinton. It really was a surreal experience. Opinion polls used to be regarded as an accurate reflection of society and voters, but in a world where so often they get it wrong, can we trust opinion polls? Today, we're looking at the polling industry's crisis of confidence, its impact around the world, and if anything is being done to change that. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now, you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Democratic challenger Joe Biden is currently leading Donald Trump in the US national polls as the country approaches its presidential election on the 3rd of November. Currently, the 10-poll average indicates that just over half of Americans intend to back Joe Biden, while Trump's support trails this by around five or six points. But the American voting system means that even if a majority of Americans back Biden, it's about how they're spread across the country that really counts. The US Constitution, now bear with me, states American presidents are elected not directly by the people, but by the people's electors. Enter the Electoral College system, which means each state gets a certain number of electors based on its total number of representatives in Congress. Each elector casts one electoral vote following the general election. There are a total of 538 electoral votes and the candidate that gets more than half of that number wins the election. Chaz Lichardello is the co-host of the ABC's Planet America and he's been living and breathing the US election. Chaz, polling can be confusing at the best of times, but the American system means a straight poll of how many voters prefer Biden doesn't actually mean he'll win, right? That is right. The national poll is all very interesting, but it means nothing. (laughs) So... (laughs) In 2016, we obviously had this huge polling disaster, what 
people were referring to around the world whereby people considered that Donald Trump was a complete outside chance, Hillary was dominating in the polls, and it really shocked a lot of people, especially outside of America, that this majority vote means nothing there. So going into this next election, Biden's ahead, but does that mean anything and can we trust these polls? Well, once again, the fact that Biden is ahead by 10 points, 11 points, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win. It's pretty likely, but the state polls are the ones that count. No one gets a single position in the White House based on a national poll. It's when you add up enough states together, then you get a presidency. And so we look at the state poll by state poll, and so far, he's looking pretty good on those state polls. So how does Biden stack up on the state polls versus the same time, 2016, where Hillary was stacking on the state polls? Well, you'll be delighted and slightly confused to know that he stacks up almost identically. So the next question before you even ask that is go, hang on, if he stacks up identically to how Hillary Clinton stacked up back in 2016, how come you're saying he's looking good when Hillary Clinton lost? And the answer is that Biden is in a very different position now to what Hillary was because he's up against an incumbent. Back when Hillary was running in 2016, she was up against a fellow challenger. And the rules are very, very different between when there's an open race and when there's an incumbent. And the reason for that is because people have already made up their mind one way or another about how they feel about whether an incumbent should be returned to the presidency. Whereas when there's no incumbent, people, they're still making up their minds about both of the challenges. But when there's an incumbent there, they've had four years to work out. And so in this case now, Biden is ahead by six points in Wisconsin, about seven points in Michigan, about seven points in Pennsylvania. They're the three major states. If Biden wins those three states, he wins the whole election, essentially. Hillary was also ahead by about that in those three states. But the difference was... While the margins are the same as they were for Hillary, the numbers are actually higher. What I mean by that is with Hillary, she was ahead 45 to 38 with lots of undecideds. Biden is ahead 52 to 45 with almost no undecideds. So if you're running against an incumbent and 52% of people have decided that they don't like you, it's very hard to convince them to change their mind at the last second from what they thought for the last four years, which is the case here with Joe Biden, that he's past 50% in all these key states. So people who have watched Trump for four years have to say to themselves, I didn't like Trump today enough to vote for Joe Biden, but I only changed my mind in the next 17 days. That's a very hard thing to happen. And that's why I say Biden's in a better position than Hillary was. Do you think people are still hesitant to buy it, the polls? Yes. Yes. I think they're very hesitant. I think they are extremely gun-shy. Let's put it this way. If 2016 never existed, I think right now we'd all be saying, this is a smashing. Biden's got it. It's done. But no one wants to say that (laughs) because everyone remembers 2016. And so they're all very, very scared and looking very silly. But, you know, what I always say with... 2016 when we talk about it, that the polls largely were not wrong. 
what happened in 2016 was pretty much what the polls predicted with two exceptions. The national poll was right. It was spot on. Hillary was ahead by three points in the final national polls, and she ended up winning the popular vote by about two and a half points. That was correct. As far as the state polls go, the only two state polls that were wrong were Wisconsin and Michigan. Every other state poll was well within the margin of error. And if you, and if you do the maths, remember what I said to you, the reason why Trump won was because he won Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was within the margin of error. So anyone who was looking at those final polls should have said to themselves, there's a decent chance that Trump could win here, even if just by winning Pennsylvania. But they didn't say that because they didn't read the polls properly. And so what I say to you is that in 2016, the polls weren't wrong, the journalists were wrong. That was the problem. This time around, I think the journalists have been a bit more careful. (laughs) Well, everyone is being very careful now, as you mentioned. Do you think Trump having COVID has changed anything? Has that warmed any Americans to him or indeed divided people more when it comes to the handling of the COVID-19 response? I think it's changed things for the worse for Donald Trump. And I was surprised by that. When it happened, I was on air and I said, there could be a sympathy turn here for Donald Trump if he plays this well. Well, he didn't play it well. He didn't really listen to his doctors very much. He was doing his little joyride with limos. He was posing for ridiculous photos. He got out there as soon as he possibly could and was behaving very strangely once he left. And the result of that is that if you look at the polls day by day, the day it was publicised that he'd gotten coronavirus, he actually closed in the polls by a few points. But then two days later, after he was in hospital and he started behaving strangely, it blew right out. I think what happened was when he started behaving erratically, it just solidified in people's minds the idea that he had mishandled the entire coronavirus epidemic. They started to think to themselves, well, he got this because he's dealing badly with it. And he's still dealing badly with it, even now. And so I think, in a way, he could have almost gotten back into it when he got coronavirus, if he'd played it well, if he'd played it with humility and he showed that he'd learned something and he showed some empathy for people. But because he kept on playing the games that he's been playing, I think it actually solidified what was, until that point, his weakness. And it made it an even more apparent weakness. And as a result of that, The polls blew out by two or three points overall. So is 2020 the year that will make polls great again or have we all been fooled too many times to believe the numbers, however compelling they may seem? It's not only the polls out of the US people are sceptical about, it's happening all around the world. This is the referendum that no one thought was going to happen. It's the referendum that the Prime Minister hoped he would never have to deliver. And it's the referendum that UKIP have spent 20 years fighting for. Take Brexit. Just a few months before Trump won the US election, poll after poll predicted the Remain vote would win the 2016 referendum and the UK would stay in the European Union. But as we know, almost all of them were incorrect. It left many around the world wondering what went wrong with the pollsters' efforts to gauge public sentiment. Ashley Wheeler is an Aussie who was living in London at that time. UK citizenship meant she could vote in the referendum and Ash says the overwhelming rhetoric of the time was that Britain was not going to leave the EU. 
So my partner, Chris, and I, we went to our local primary school to vote and it was quite a quiet morning, actually. We went early because we thought there'd be loads of people around, but there weren't. It was quite exciting because we hadn't had the opportunity to vote in anything over in the UK before. When the results came out the following day, everyone just seemed to be in complete and utter shock. There was a really sombre feel in the city. It was actually pretty awful. And I remember walking into the office and it was really quiet. And there are actually a couple of people in tears because I just don't think anyone actually expected that it was going to happen. Ash says people were trying to understand what the result meant for them and their families. Even if you were born and bred there, it was going to impact your life somehow or impact someone that you cared about. It just seemed like it was going to be a shoo-in and that they were going to remain and all sort of pointed towards that. Everyone that I knew was saying, remain, remain, remain. So when that wasn't the outcome, it was quite shocking. But that was 2016. Fast forward to 2019, three years later, and plenty of time for local pollsters to learn from the mistakes of our overseas friends, right? Right? I have always believed in miracles. Polling indicated a wipeout loss for the coalition in last year's federal election. It was widely accepted by the experts of the day that the Liberal Party had all but sentenced itself to death after yet another leadership coup. But Dr Sean Ratcliffe from the United States Studies Centre at the University of Sydney says a lot has to go right to get an accurate picture of voters. So, Sean, where do you think the polls went wrong here in Australia? If we go back over the last several decades, surveys are rarely exactly right. There's always an error rate. They don't get it spot on most of the time. In Australia, which is a little bit different, the error rate was a bit larger. It was a bit over 3%. There are a number of possible reasons for it. One could just be that there were certain groups that weren't answering surveys that happened to favour the coalition. Now, that might not be the reason, but that is one possible reason. And I should note that this was an unusually large error, particularly for Australia. Australian polling tends to be very accurate. They've done a very good job over the last few decades of correctly predicting the winner So I think that's one reason why it was a big surprise, because often the average over the surveys in the lead up to the election does give us a good idea of who's going to win. Sean, you mentioned there that Australian polls are usually more accurate. Why is that? And for people who don't really understand where this all comes from, what's actually involved in gathering that data? I think one of the reasons we've been more accurate, compulsory voting in Australia means that most people vote. At the end of the day, probably a little bit over 80% of people that are eligible to vote, so that's adult Australian citizens, register to vote and then vote. In the US, it's probably between 50 and 60%. So that makes it a little bit easier for Australian pollsters to get it right. So in the US, you've effectively got to do two things. First, you've got to work out who's going to vote, and then you have to work out how they're going to vote. So there's sort of like a two-step process. And in Australia, we've mostly been able to not worry about the first step because the vast majority of people do generally vote. To get a good sample, there are different modes of surveys. You've got, obviously, phone surveys where pollsters ring potential voters and ask them how they're going to vote. That can be either you pay someone to make phone calls and they talk to someone on the phone, or you've got what are called robopolls, where you've got a pre-recorded message and it asks you to press 1 if you plan to vote or you can vote, and then the next step you get press 1 if you're going to vote Liberal, 2 if you're going to vote Labor. That's probably the most common form of polling now. Now, the big problem with that form of polling, though, is that most people hang up on those calls. So that's one place that introduces error. You're not getting everyone. You might only be getting sort of 3% of the people you call. And the lower your response rate, the more likely 
there is going to be bias in your sample. You might have too many older people, um, too many women, too many well-educated voters, and you're missing parts of the electorate. What do pollsters need to do to win back trust from the voters, given that even if it's easier to gather that data here in Australia, or we do have that higher voter turnout, but it's still resulted in a victory last federal election that frankly shocked many people, even I think the Prime Minister. Part of it is around how survey research is reported in the media, and it's about how people communicate the results of surveys. Sometimes survey results are reported like that number is an exact prediction of what's going to happen, and that's not what surveys do. They're a snapshot of public opinion at a given point in time. Public opinion does change. And it's also an estimate. We've got a sample of a population that we expect there to be error, right? We don't expect a survey to be 100% accurate. Now, obviously, the longer the surveys show you that difference, the more confident you become that the difference might be real. But we can't be sure. It's still only a sample of the population. When it comes to Biden and Trump, the polls should be more accurate this year because fewer voters say they're undecided, according to the New York Times. At this point in 2016, about 20% of voters either supported a minor party candidate or said they were undecided. Today, the number is about half that level. All the reassurance in the world, though, and the black and white numbers still don't seem to be enough. The overwhelming sentiment remaining that the polls were wrong in 2016 and 2019. So how can we trust them now? Yeah, I'd have to say that opinion polls don't seem to be particularly reliable. Just based on recent history, I probably would rely on them too much. You never know what's going to happen on the day. As for the US election, it looks like we'll have to wait and see for ourselves in a few weeks' time. But with postal votes, meaning America and the world might have to wait days, weeks or even months for a clear result, the chance for the experts to finally say we told you so could be a while off yet. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Emma Gillespie, with audio production by Ian Camilleri and guest booking by Mel Zauer. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.